It's Flat Out RC time. Welcome back to the podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking radio control planes, helis and drones. My name's Andrew Sill coming to you from the land down under Melbourne, Australia. Big welcome to everybody listening around the world. About half of our listeners are listening offshore uh, in the US, South America, in Europe. We've gone global here at Flat Out RC. Another good episode up uh, for you to listen to. Uh, we're talking a bit of gliding this week. Haven't talked gliders for for a while, so stay tuned because a, a guy by the name of Glenn Salisbury is joining me a bit later as our special guest. Uh, now, before we get to that, let's have a look at what's been on my mind. A couple of reminders before I get into it, and that is... Uh, don't forget to subscribe to Flat Out RC Podcast. Uh, no matter what platform you're on, click the subscribe button. And whilst you're at it, don't forget the Facebook, the Instagram, the YouTube channels as well. The whole, just search for Flat Space Out Space RC, Flat Out RC on any of these kind of platforms. You'll find us and uh, you'll see the logo and off you go. Join in. And another couple of reminders, the NGH engine special at RC World, the NGH petrol engines. The uh, two-stroke and four-stroke range, still up for grabs, 10% discount for flat-out RC listeners. Just go to rcworld.com.au and use the code FLATOUTNGH, all one word, F-L-A-T-O-U-T-N-G-H, and you can grab 10% discount on an NGH petrol engine. Two-stroke and four-stroke, two-stroke range starts at 9cc, goes up to 70cc twin, and the four-stroke, uh, I think there's three models, and the four-stroke raises a 30, and goes up to a 60cc twin in line. There's, there's one in the, in the middle there. I can't remember what size it is actually off the top of my head. Uh, so don't forget, rcworld.com.au, using the code FLATOUTNGH. And we have another special offer, Scale Aero Products, 10% off all their laser cut kits, uh, using the code FLATOUT10, FLATOUT10. Uh, just go to scaleaeroproducts.com.au using that code FLATOUT10. That's one zero for 10. And you get 10% off all their kits. They've got all sorts of different things. You know, they've got uh, gliders, old timers, warbirds, of course, and the range keeps on growing. So visit scaleaeroproducts.com.au, use the code FLATOUT10, 10% discount is yours. Now, what's been on my mind? Well, we've got a new product to talk about today. Uh, it's DJI have reduced, just released a new drone. Um, I think in the last week it's come out. And it's it's a variation. Again, it's called the DJI Mavic 3. So it's the latest in their very popular Mavic range, which is sort of probably a pinnacle in their range. And realistically, we, we know what's going to end up happening with these drones. Everything's just going to improve. You're going to get better battery life. You're going to get better cameras. You're going to get more sensors. You're going to do all that kind of stuff. And this is what this Mavic 3 offers. Now, the old Mavic 3s fly beautifully. They, they, they record a good picture. They've always, I reckon, they've left room for movement, especially in the camera sort of department. And I, you know, I shoot videos professionally, and you can see the difference with some of the drone cameras. How they're still not as good as some of you know the, the latest Sony A7 three, you know, kind of cameras and that kind of stuff. Uh, and of course, the cameras are tiny, so it's hard to get them to work like a bigger camera. But uh, I think it's, oh, I can't remember which way around it is. I think DJI has invested in a camera company called Hasselblad. 
and Hasselblad's been around for a long time in the in the pro camera market in a very very long time. Uh, you don't often hear about them because they're sort of reserved for for high end pros, but they've basically bought into the I think to Hasselblad so they can tap into some camera expertise and. What we're seeing now is is one of the first ones where they've labelled it Hasselblad. I think it is. I can't remember where the last one last one no doubt was a Hasselblad camera as well. But the Mavic Three, basically, what you're looking at is an improvement on all fronts. Camera, it's got two cameras actually. It's got one camera for video and one camera for uh, for um, stills. So with the video camera, you, they're now seeing a four thirds uh, CCD camera. Which is often seen in other, uh, you know, pro cameras and that kind of thing. I had a, a camera like that once, no longer sold it. But uh, and then it's got another, um, another camera, which I'm trying to see what the specs are. Uh, got 20, 20 megapixel, 20 megapixel photos, which is pretty damn big. Adjustable aperture from f two point eight to f eleven, which is pretty damn good. Vision detection, autofocus technology, like that. Uh, and then you got twelve point eight stops of dynamic range is good, and a twenty four millimeter equivalent focal length lens on it, so it's pretty pretty wide, which is sort of what you want with a drone kind of thing. Um, I saw some other specs. You now video specs are amazing, up to five point one k video. Now we used to always talk about four k, but you can do four k at one hundred and twenty frames per second, so good for that slow res, slow mo. Um, Apple ProRes 422HQ, so that's um, that's just a codec. That's a, a really good pro codec. 10-bit D-Log, so 10-bit color. That's awesome. That's better than my um, Sony A7S II cameras that I use, which are only 8-bit. So you get a bit more color uh, out of them. Um, telephoto lens, it looks like, on the, um, on the stills camera. 28 by hybrid. So as I said, flight performance is enhanced. Omnidirectional obstacle sensing. So they improve their sensors. Um, downward facing. I wonder if they've got an upward facing sensor. Horizontal omnidirectional vision system. Downward vision as well. Um, so plenty of uh, sensors. Um, what else has got here? Mavic 3 makes flight more fun than ever with, with, with recording that is that is no longer interrupted by obstacles along the way. When flying Mavic 3 continually, continually senses objects in all directions and bypasses them quickly and smoothly. So it's going to avoid obstacles, which is handy. But listen to this, 46-minute flight time with a 15K video transmission range. And that's at um, 1080, so full full high definition, but it will do 4G transmission with the DJI cellular transmission dongle. So you can actually connect it to a to mobile phone network. Don't know why, maybe for, for streaming um, footage or something like that. Uh, extreme precision positioning technology. Really? I wonder how that works. But 46 minute time. Now, the challenge with this is if I press the buy now, and it's got a fancy controller with a screen on it, which I reckon is great, and it's you no know, to worry about hooking up your phones. It does my head in to hook my phone up all the time. It's my old DJI, DJI Babic Air. But if I look, I don't know whether these Australian prices or... Oh, yeah, there was Australian prices. I think this uh, is... I think it is. Um, $3,099 for the basic combo. For the Fly More with the extra batteries, it's $4,199. It comes with a whole bunch of different stuff. There's another one. There's a Cine... Mavic, DJI Mavic 3 Cine Premium Combo. $7,199. 
what, what are they doing here? It's it's obviously got different um cameras or something like that. I don't know. It's a bit weird. Um but yeah, base price is three thousand and ninety-nine uh for it. And that's just getting expensive for a drone. This is the thing with these drones. Perfect for a professional, but for the everyday punter, I think it's probably you get value out of even a two-generation old Mavic or something like that is still going to give you a perfectly fine picture. But for the uh, Pro, the, the things for me is, okay, the image quality is improved, which it needed sort of two, I think. Uh, the flight time is just phenomenal. You know, if you're out there tracking a, uh, a motorbike trip or something like that as a commercial project and, and you don't have facilities for charging, that 46-minute battery time is just phenomenal. You're getting more than enough footage out of that. Um, no doubt in real-world conditions that 46 minutes might end up being half an hour, but still that's 30 minutes of flight time is a massive amount of footage. Uh, so not too bad. If you're interested in having a look, just visit the DJI website, do a search on DJI Mavic 3, and you can take a closer look yourselves. Guest time, my favourite part of the podcast as always. Uh I always try to mix up guests and it's get, I'm, I have to admit it's getting harder and harder to find guests. So I get a lot of requests from people but uh, and I try to reach out but if they're not computer savvy, they don't check my messages. If they, you know, generally the rule of thumb is if they're on Facebook, they're cool. If they're not on Facebook or they don't use Facebook very often, then they're very unlikely to do a podcast recording. That's my sort of barometer that I've learned after 70 something, uh, close to 80 episodes of doing the podcast now. So, uh, a, a lot of people, all those people that have suggested people, thank you. I have tried to get some of them on. And actually one of them is on today, Glenn Salisbury. So uh, the tip is if I reach out to you, just respond if you could. There's a whole bunch of people there I've been trying to get and they just don't respond to me. But I'm trying. But we've got a good guest, Glenn Salisbury. Now, Glenn uh, came to me as a referral from Alexa Scott over in South Australia and uh, who's a, a good glider guy. And uh, Glenn is in uh, Melbourne and he has been flying gliders for a very long time. And a lot of the stuff that he does is um, the powered slope soarers. I think that's what they refer to them as, PSS. So they are models of propeller-driven aircraft or jet turbine kind of aircraft that it can be flown off a slope as a glider. So, and he loves building. You'll see he's, how many, he's got an amazing amount of models, but uh, really has a strong passion for that slope soaring. So thought I'd get him on. It was nice to talk to him, get to know him. Never met Glenn before, but uh, you'll like him as well. So stay tuned. Here's my chat with Glenn Salisbury. We're back talking gliding and joining me is Glenn Salisbury all the way from Melbourne, probably not too far away from me. Glenn, thanks for joining me here on the Flat Out RC podcast. Ah, thank you for having me, Andrew. Um, actually, I think we're on polar opposite sides of Melbourne. I'm way up the northern suburbs. Are you? Yeah, Unfortunately, I'm... away from every slope there is. <laughs> well, that is a problem that we have here in Melbourne, really. I'm down in the uh, sort of the more Bayside suburbs, and I can get out. There, there are a few little local slopes, that, you know, facing the ocean, the beach, but uh, not great, uh, but... It is a bit of a problem, isn't it? We don't have to get in our cars and drive somewhere. Now, Glenn, you are a glider guy, and we're going to talk a bit of gliding. And and uh, you know, for anybody that's listening to this podcast, they know how much I love gliding. You know, I always say gliding and aerobatics are my two things. Uh, so, uh, always ask this, uh, this question to start off with because I think it's a, it's always the most logical place to start. Is 
how did you get involved in this crazy world of aero modeling? Um, I'm not really sure how it started. Uh, no one in my family is interested in aircraft. Um, but my best friend um, and myself, when we were in primary school, used to grab the airfix kits because they were nice and cheap in those days and and just slap together really horribly uh, the airfix models and just play with them at school. We used to chase each other around with them, you know, having mock air battles, etc. cetera. Um, so we did that for many years. And then in our high school years, he discovered Hawthorne Hobbies oh, down yes. in Burwood Road that was um, owned by Eddie Lowe. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, he introduced me to that. So uh, he and I used to go into Hawthorne Hobbies almost every afternoon oh. and and annoy the hell out of them. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Hawthorne Hobbies there. Yeah, so Eddie Lowe was the owner and Barry Law was his assistant. Yeah. Barry Law from the, I think he was from the Dandenong Club. Yep. But um, they're avid, avid modeler. But, uh, yeah, so every night after school we'd be going in there and annoying them to the state that they actually nicknamed us the germs. <laughs> but you know what? Uh, like when you... When you talk about walking into the hobby stores now, do you look fondly back at that that experience of? I remember as a child walking into a hobby store and just going, "This is the greatest place ever." Oh, absolutely! Both my best mate and I were in absolute heaven in that place. Mm. Um, I still, when I go past it now, it still has the super chipmunk painting on the outside of the building. That's right. That's um, right. So yeah, it still still brings back fond memories. Um, so yeah, from, from, from annoying them to open kits up every day, it actually got to the stage where after I'd actually got a job and I'd finished high school, um, Eddie employed me over the, um, Christmas holidays of 1978. So yeah, the germ was actually in his (laughs) element going in. It wasn't really work in a hobby shop, so the first couple of days he had me cleaning the place up and let me tell you, it needed it. Uh, but then after that, it was you know, the retail work at the front and making models for Eddie and his customers out the back. It was absolute bliss. And so then, you know, and what was your first foray into sort of radio control flight? Um, I actually, I, I bought a Maratuka Corsair when I was about 15 or 16. Um, and from the very start, didn't build it standard, added scale details, things like the, the sheeted wings. I um, cut down the sheeting thickness and adding cap strips so it simulated the fabric-covered surfaces of a coarse air. And so I had the scale bug from the very start. I actually never got to finish that aircraft just through a uh, mainly a lack of money and just could never afford to finish it off. Uh, so the first one I actually flew was um, after working in the hobby shop, Eddie one day accidentally left a an all-phone model on top of a soldering iron that was still powered. No. And so it burnt a huge hole in the fuselage. So he just, okay, germ, you can keep this. And so that became my first foray is having a, a radio-controlled glider. Gee. 
But what what year would that be with the all foam plane? Oh, that would the have, 80s it was or? The, yeah, it was. Oh no, would have been seventy nine. Oh really? Because I worked the the holidays seventy eight seventy nine, and my pay at the end of my tenure there was an MRC four channel radio. Oh. So that was my first radio set, and mm. I was the proudest person in the world to actually own a radio set. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. So you had this foamy. I had a foamy with a great big burn in the side of it, so <laughs> I uh, made a, a balsa fairing to go over the burn to to hide the ugliness mm. and then fully painted it to further hide the ugliness. Um, yeah, and my best mate and I flew our gliders off a a, um, a bank on the edge of a football oval in Hawthorne. Where was that? Um so Rathmines Road is the front um, side of the the oval, and I think it was called Harcourt Street. Oh yes, out the back there, and there must have been at most a thirty foot high slope. Yeah, and we didn't care what the wind direction was. This thing faced south, um, and we threw our gliders off the top. And if we made it to the far end of the football field, we're the happiest blokes around. If we actually got to turn them at the far end and come back a little bit, we were ecstatic. And and we thought that we were the coolest guys in the world because we were, in inverted commas, slope soaring. Yeah, yeah I'm having a look even, now. Even though there wouldn't have been a, an ounce of lift there. Yeah. I oh, know. I'm looking now at the um, at Harcourt Street and there's a football oval there. Obviously, there's a slope there that you just stood near the road or something and just throw it across. That's correct, yep. Right by the side of the road, there's an avenue of trees there. Yep. Still there. Just stand on the top there and launch the gliders off there. Oh. I'm just imagining those days because I was similar, you know, as a young kid with a glider, thinking, oh, it's just so good. There's some, something romantic about it, you know. And so, okay, and how did you go flying it? Because, you know, we didn't have simulators and stuff in those days. Were the, was the plane staying in one piece or there a few rough landings? Oh, no, no. Well, it was fairly easy. They were only rudder elevator jobs, so yeah. they were – Fairly basic to fly, uh, so we didn't have any dramas like that. As he keeps reminding me, the dramas I had is when I flew into the chicken coop next door because I forgot to turn the receiver on. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a yeah. So players, that's a good one. Didn't understand this pre-flight checking at that stage. Well, this is the uh, second podcast in a row. The, the last week's guest, Norm Morris, had the same problem. Forgot to turn on his uh, pylon plane, I think it was, and that flew off at three hundred kilometers per hour. Oh dear! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. a bit different to this. This was a a model called a Super Turkey. It was a, a an old balsa model featured in. You remember the turkey. old RCM magazine? Yeah, yeah. So it was a a feature model in that, but I didn't have any money, so I got that tiny little quarter page three view, and set a few bits of paper up on the dining room table at home, and then just scaled it up. Because I, I was, I absolutely loved drawing as a youngster, so I was always drawing. So to actually scale up a model aeroplane was a real pleasure. So I scratch built the Super Turkey from the scaled up plans, and it had a Jadelski wing on it. What's that? Now, are you familiar with Jadelski wings? No. What are they? So Jadelski wings have traditional ribs, and then they have top sheeting, basically sheeting from a third of the span forward. In this yeah. case, it was quarter-inch sheeting. Yep. And then eighth of an inch sheeting from a third of the span 
back, but only on the top surface. Okay, I'm looking at it now, actually. I can't believe that, you know, hey, I'm going to design a glider. What, what am I going to call it? Uh, what about the super turkey? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was a beautiful I'm flying airplane, though. You're exactly right. You know that it's available. It's here online. I just did a search for Super Turkey Glider, and it actually came up. Jodolsky yeah, Wing can... Glider model. That's the one. That's it. Oh. RCM plans reference 716 February 1978, 72-inch wingspan. Yep. Yep. And I actually recently have uh, downloaded it off oh, one of the free plan services. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a few free plan services on the net. So downloaded the DXF file, went along to the friendly office works, and I've got it in my pile of plans that I wish to build. That, that I've had this nostalgic inclination over the last couple of years in getting back models that I already owned and uh, or rebuilding ones that I've already owned before. Yeah, no, there, there is something special about that. It's reliving our youth, really. But the I, I'm pretty sure, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it's amazing how, you know, gliders played a big part in a lot of people's sort of youth. Control line for, for the older older people out there, but uh, but then gliders, I think, you know. And so, okay, so then you built the Super Turkey, right? And you, you, so the Super Turkey was being flown out at Rathmines Road there on the park? That's correct, and yes. Then, okay, give us the next step because I can't wait to see how this keeps on progressing. <laughs> next step was I bought, and I can't remember the name of it, but it was a generic 40-sized high wing power plane trainer and built that, married it up with my proud MRC four channel set, took it down to Doncaster Modelers Club, Aero Modelers Club. And on the maiden flight, the um, the guy who was test flying it for me took off. It took off beautifully. He did a turn to do a circuit, beautiful, still climbing, another turn to do a parallel pass. And halfway along, it went into a spin. He just goes, radio's not talking to it. Oh, no. And so I, I re, it re-kitted itself, and I took it home in a, a paper bag. <laughs> Absolutely disheartened. Oh, you'd be devastated, wouldn't you? I was, and that basically paid put, uh, put paid to my um, aircraft modelling for close to... 10 years. Really? I spat the dummy with it and said, I'm going to do something that's only got two dimensions. So if you can't fall out of the sky, I'm going to retain models. <laughs> so I raced radio control on road, 12th scale electric cars for about 10 years. And that would have been the prime too with a lot of RC cars then. It was, it was, you know, when they all had sponsored drivers and, you know, there were official teams and, um, it was great fun. We travelled once a month. We travelled all over the state to different meets. So I did that with, you know, moderate success. Um, I was never in the top echelon, but... Um, what was your car yeah. of choice? Well, I started off um, uh, with an AYK, a, a Japanese brand that were up and coming at the time. Um, associated was the big brand. Yep, yep. And one of our good mates, Craig Bowring, was the official associated team driver uh, in Melbourne. So he dominated the – we used to actually race in the Chadston Shopping Centre car park. <laughs> Wouldn't do that nowadays. 
No, no, absolutely not. So we had a permanent track painted on the car park that was all supported by the management. It was really cool, but a very, very serious competitive club. Oh, really? Um, but that was good because that's what I wanted to do at the time. The, the racing really kept me entertained. Um, but yeah, so I started off with AYK. Um, but after, I suppose, eight or nine years, I finally got the team manager to um, get into the Schumacher cars. The, the Schumacher yeah. cars were dominating carpet, indoor carpet racing at the time. So he, he eventually switched brands to Schumacher with a lot of success as well. But, yeah, they were, they were good times. And the fact that, you know, if something went wrong with your, your car, it maybe hit a gutter and you might have to replace a part and that was it. So um, it didn't have the the danger that aero modelling did. Well, that's true. We you know, always hear about the uh, the brake-fix cycle and how many people on their maiden flight lost their plane. A mate of mine, actually, he built a, a, a SIG, some SIG kit, a trainer, and um, a classic one, and uh, yeah, it lasted one flight. I told him it would because he didn't listen and take my advice that he needs to either get in a simulator or get someone else to fly it first and make sure he just can't take it down to the local park and fire up a thing. Anyway, he did take it to a club, I think, but crashed it first flight. But uh, And then, yeah, hasn't seen a lot of days since, so well done. <laughs> well, I did do that for I, – I did the right thing for my aeroplane, and embarrassingly, the best friend that I keep talking about, Craig Laker, he had a paper round, so he was the richest kid around. <laughs> and he actually bought himself an RCM trainer, 60 size. Oh. And we took that down to the local park and we are just taxing it around with absolutely zero intention of flying. Neither of us had flown a power plane, but we'd both flown with the gliders. And he gave me a go at taxiing it and I must have hit the throttle a little bit too much because it jumped into the air. Mm. And, of course, I panicked, tip-stalled it, crashed it. So embarrassing. <laughs> so, someone else crashed your plane and you crashed somebody else's plane. Yeah, but the the guy who crashed my plane really didn't have an input into the crash. It was the radio that just stopped talking. Okay, so yours my, was a proper my crash. My crashing my best mate's plane was 100% my stupidity and my fault and... I'm amazed that we're still mates. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and what what brought you back into to model flying after the RC car days? Oh, uh, well, I'm a what do they call me? An aerosexual at work. Um, so in '79, I started work as an aircraft mechanic. So I, I, I was an aircraft nutter. I had to had had to be an aircraft. So the love of aircraft never went away. Um, it was just that I was so into the cars, but it, it kept gnawing at me, kept gnawing at me, and it was, no, nah, I've got to get myself another glider. So I, I bought a Sequel 2000 by Price Right Engineering, which is an Australian-produced two-metre floater. You know how to find these weird and wonderful planes, don't you? Never heard oh, of the that. Se- oh, the Sequel was a fairly popular plane, Australian-produced. What's it called? I'm looking at now. Sequel. A sequel 2000. 2000 glider. And it was produced by Price Right Engineering. Price uh, just right. a generic polyhedral two-channel job. Yeah. Um, really, really nice model. Took it up to Glenfern Road to have someone test fly it for me and then give me a bit of training on uh, 
how to actually keep control of it. Mm-hmm. And luckily, one of the best pilots in Australia took me under his wing and and taught me how to do the basics. So I don't know if you've heard of Scott Lennon, was a competition flyer, you know, basically David Hobby type standard. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So a magnificent pilot um, who now builds and repairs full-scale gliders for his trade up in Tamora. So what you've proven that having some, some good guidance really set you on the course again. Oh, absolutely. And he, he taught me slope discipline. So the first time I actually went up to Glenfern Road, I watched three people. If you don't know Glenfern Road, it's a a, a B road in Ferntree, Upper Ferntree Gully in the outskirts of Melbourne. And it's the closest slope site there is to suburbia in Melbourne and therefore is probably one of the most popular sites around. It's not a great site. But it's extremely handy because it's because of its proximity to the city. Yeah, I've I've always eyed off Glenford Road. Um, I'm looking now because yeah, you're right. As a you know, we don't have many choices of where to fly, nope. but that that sort of is an option. Are you are you allowed to fly there? Is it still? So. I'm not sure of that. Yes, we are allowed to fly there. We only flew there. Well, I only flew there two weeks ago. Um, when lockdown, we were allowed to travel more than five k's. That was the first thing I did. Is went out for a fly. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, so the owners allow us in there. They're they're very kind. They have let us in there for oh probably it's at least thirty years because um, I joined VARMS Victorian Association of Radio Model Soaring in 1991 and we had that site at that time hmm. uh, through negotiations with uh, the, the, the owners and one of the main reasons they let us fly there of course is because of the um, insurance policies that we all hold being part of the club yes. so i'm not sure now whether it's just anybody can fly there as long as you've got insurance i know there's a lot of people that just go and fly there and they're not club members but I'm not sure of the legality of it or whether they have insurance at all. Okay, so Glenfern Road's flying. So you, you you had a bit of guidance there, and was it a case of never looking back after that? Absolutely. I, I was hooked. Uh, hook, line, and sinker. I'd fallen in love with gliding. Um, from being a a dedicated fan of mainly World War II aircraft to that stage, to actually go down the path of flying a glider was you know, completely out of my interest zone, but it really grabbed my interest as well. It was extremely relaxing. Um, it proved a challenge. Um, I didn't have too much trouble because of the cars when you're racing around a circuit, you have to get used to orientation. So orientation for a glider coming back at you instead of just flying away came naturally to me. and. I never had trouble with establishing the direction the glider was heading or keeping it under control. So it was really nice with Scott teaching me, you know, some of the basics of slope soaring, you know, always turn out from the slope. Um, And just being disciplined, do, you know, a dozen clockwise circuits without losing any height. Just keep the fuselage level and make it turn constant circles and then do a dozen anti-clockwise 
and then we're going to get the figure eights and then we're going to learn landing approaches. So he spent a fair bit of time with me over a couple of weeks um, honing the skills and making sure that I did things the safe way um, and that really paid off and I've I've tried to instill that in anybody that I've taught ever since. Yeah. So you were at the slope but uh, did you expand into to thermal flying or did you really just focus on the slope? Uh, I'm a lazy modeler, so I love the slope. Thermaling takes too much effort. You know, you've got to set up um, winches or you've got to have a bungee with you. And I like walking up to the side of the road and, you know, going through a gate and fence and throwing and knowing that if, if the lift's on, all I've got to do is turn back towards the slope and I've got lift again. I don't have to go searching for it. That's true. That is true. Mind you, if there are thermals, I'll gladly hook into them. But, yeah, it's not it's not the main love. When I first started, so after a couple of weeks of flying that sequel, the buzz on the slope, everyone was telling me about, oh, you've got to come down to Camperdown. We run oh, a, yeah. an Australia Day event at Camperdown every single year. So my best mate and I drove down there and thought, Camperdown, you know, one horse town, we'll just get accommodation while we're down there. Well, no, the joint was packed out. We couldn't get accommodation anywhere between Geelong and Warrnambool. Mm. Um, but we got there and to see 50 to 100 gliders of any discipline that you could think of on that slope was just an eye-opener. Um, and VARMS had their club model, a five-metre span Lockheed U2. Gee. And, of course, me being a, a fan of um, powered aircraft, saw that and it's just like what you can fly powered aircraft and they say well no it's a glider so get away from here <laughs> other guys are flying spitfires and all sorts of you know aircraft that i love but as gliders and it was like you know what's this thing so i learned that weekend about power scale soaring which is the the flying of what was originally a powered aircraft as a glider well, you have just read my mind because I wanted to talk more about that. So, um, you know, we all know traditional gliders, of course, and I, I've seen power scale soaring in in magazines, especially out of some of the UK magazines, but not very often here in Australia. So, correct. Yeah. Is it a simple? I'm assuming it's not, but is it as simple as going to grab your powered, you know, Mustang or Spitfire or you know, of the like, and then pulling the engine off and off you go? Or is it, you know, tell us a bit more about what it is. Even though we have done that with a modicum of success over the years, um, it's really not the way to go. Uh, a, a slope airfoil is completely different to a powered airfoil. Um, so powered airfoil, a lot of them are symmetrical. Symmetrical slope uh, uh, airfoils don't work fantastically on a slopey unless you're into pure aerobatics. So a lot of the the competition slope aerobats use uh, fully symmetrical airfoils. But for everyday flying, you want a semi-symmetrical airfoil. Um, mind you, that can go anywhere from a Clark Y, something really fat with a, a flat bottom, to one of the most extreme ones that I had was a, an RG14, which is a fairly thin airfoil to start with, but it was thinned down to 7.5%. Uh, 
Um, and that thing was a rocket ship that I just could not slow down. Yeah, I was um, say, it sounds like it'd be fast. Yeah, so you can have really there's we have Clark Y section power scale saurus. So if that's suitable for you know things like if you're flying a Dakota or something old and slow, Clark Y is beautiful for it. They're always really lifty, but they're fairly draggy. Um, the majority of the American PSS models, um, they use RG15s. Um, now again, that's a, like a slope racing type section. But the Americans have a, a different idea of power scale soaring as compared to the UK and the Australians. So the UK and Australian scene, we're, we're more biased in the way of a scale fidelity and we'd rather sacrifice excellence in flying quality to have something that looks exactly like the real thing. Where the Americans are really happy to have something that resembles the real thing, but has magnificent slope performance. Yeah. So a lot of the American models are extremely stretched, thin fuselage, you know, wingspan one and a half times what it should be, twice the tail area that it should be. I mean, you, yes, you can still look at it and say, yes, that's a Spitfire. And yes, that looks good. And the performance is wonderful. But when you compare it to an English PSS aircraft, um, they're just not in the same league from a scale perspective. Yeah, that's right. Now, and what kind of wingspans are we looking? Because I've, I've seen photos and it seems like they're a lot smaller. But you know, what generally are we looking at when it comes to wingspans with some of these uh, power scale soaring models? Normally, you're talking like the American ones, we're talking around the 48-inch mark. Yeah, 1.2 um, metres, yeah. Yeah, and, and, well, we can go anywhere up to, like I said, the VARMS U2 is 5 metres. But generally, we're talking you know, maybe 60 inches to 2 metres for a, an English one. The smallest one I've had is 2 foot, 24 inch. A little uh, Mackie MB326, yep, like yep. the Australian roulettes. Yep. Yeah, I had one of those scratch built out of foam and solid balsa wing just carved to an airfoil section. Oh, really? 24-inch span. It was so cute. <laughs> How did it fly? It flew beautifully. Really? Unfortunately, at that stage, there was no such thing as EPP. Yeah. So we had EPS foam, the old traditional polystyrene foam. Yep. And I managed to spiral it in one day and it crushed the nose. And so it's still sitting up in the in the loft in my workshop 30 years later waiting for a rebuild <laughs> i'll tell you the um we've all done that squashed our phone <laughs> nose on the phone models i've done that a few times myself exactly can you put it in water and it expands out or something like that it's supposed to but it it, it doesn't ever go back to the right shape and yeah. once it's once it's really condensed um it never has that same stiffness or strength again so yeah, that's true no, I'll either cut the nose off and put a um, a balsa or an EPP front on it, or I'll just put a full EPP fuselage on it. Yeah, and how like obviously there's some dedicated um, kits and things like that, but um, you know where do you purchase these kind of kind of models? Yeah, not there's not that many commercial kits around. Um, they're mainly like cottage industry kits. Yeah. Um, there's Jack Cooper 
of leading edge gliders in the States sells EPP PSS aircraft. He's probably got the largest range in the world. And they span anywhere. I think he does little mini ones at 36 inch span up to two meters. Um, and they're, they're quite nice gliders. They fly well. They're reasonably scale. Um, and EPP makes them fairly indestructible as well. Yeah, there seems to be a lot out coming out of the UK. I'm just looking now. Yeah, U- at, um, UK. There's a, a dedicated. Of... There's a dedicated site in the UK. Um, PSS PSSA.org.uk, I think it is, or .co.uk. Is the Power Scale Soaring Association. So these guys have monthly meetings and their models are of a superb standard. They have um, mass builds every year. So they, someone in the club there produces um, a prototype, and then they get the plans published and they get semi kits made and send them all over the world. Okay. And the. Um- and what are popular? So I've seen there's a broad range of models that are used, anything from like the Spitfire through to through to jets. Is it really that broad a scope that you can really get any you know powered style of plane and convert that into a slope soar? Absolutely. You think of almost any aircraft around that's probably been done as a, a PSS model. Yeah. So A4 Skyhawks, I've done an F-111, I've done a B-52 Bomber, a Mackie Fighter, Spitfires, Mustangs, Sea Furies. Um, I've got a Lancaster Bomber. I've got a B-52 Super Fortress. Uh, like you said, almost anything. The, the Space Shuttle's been done as a PSS model. The SR-71 Blackbird has been done as a PSS model. Um, almost any powered aircraft you can think of has been attempted as a PSS model. Well, no doubt you'd have to really be mindful of the weight of the model to, to make it glide well, but what are some of the other things that, you know, you really have to be mindful of, but, you know, a... Well, yes and no. Um, so we tend to build them fairly light here, but the Americans build them so heavy you wouldn't believe it. So... I've got a little slope scale Spitfire here that was designed by a gentleman called Brian Laird back in the 80s. Yeah, I've heard of that. Now, he's he's still big time into PSS, but he sold off um, his uh, business to a gentleman called Dan Sampson. Um, so if you search for fly by you, Dan, you'll probably find his um, – site it's more like a blog and he he has a selection of the old brian kits but i built my first version of his spitfire and it weighed about 35 ounces this is a a 40 inch span model um and i considered that to be too heavy for the light type conditions that we get here i rebuilt it after probably five years and got it down to 20 ounces and it flew with hand launch gliders and it would still go up in 30 knots. So it was a really versatile model. Speak to Brian, he flies his at 90 ounces plus. They have some incredible slopes over in the States that have some mighty winds. So they fly at a place called the Cahoon Pass, K U J K 
K-A, sorry, try again, C-A-J-U-N, pass. And it's out in the middle of the desert and they get gales there. Mm-hmm. So they have these extremely heavy and heavily loaded PSS models that they fly like slope aerobatic planes. They're, they're extremely quick. Um, they do the biggest pumps you've ever seen. So one of the popular things with PSS in the States is doing pumps. So you, you do a screaming pass and you pull your aircraft up into a vertical climb and you just wait until it runs out of airspeed and right at the top you give a little kick over with the ailerons or the rudder if you've fitted one and it does a stall turn. So then you fly it down vertically, build up all your speed, do a horizontal component and then pull it up again vertically. And you just keep doing this over and over again, and you get the well, basically U-shaped passes across the slope, and they do it like twenty aircraft in formation, oh, and really? it, it's an incredible sight. That'd be cool in formation. I call that um, skateboard ramp flying. Yes, <laughs> you up and down the ramp, but um, oh, that'd be great doing it in in formation. Would be awesome. Yeah, and so the Australian and the and the English, we tend to do more slower type models. Uh, like I said, with more scale fidelity than than the Yanks do. So we have bigger models. They look a lot more realistic, and they fly at a lot more realistic speed. Yeah, and, and we know that a lot of um, guys and girls that are into scale flying spend hours, you know, kitting out their scale planes to make them as, as lifelike as possible. Is that the same with with the models that you've got, that you're spending a lot of time in getting that scale detail right? Or is it more about something that sort of resembles the, the scale of the plane? No, and I, I might use a maybe inappropriate term here. I'm known as a scale Nazi. So I love my scale details. Um, everybody else thinks that I go overboard. And... So there's not that many people in Australia that try to put the amount of scale detail into their models that I do. But I look at the scale power planes that we have around. And like I said, you know, I go to things like the Monte Tyrrell rallies and you know, the Victorian Flying Scale Association meetings and that. I'm, I'm, I'm a scale model nut and I wish that I could build models to the detail of someone like Dave Law. Oh yeah, it's amazing. Now, I've David. been admi- I've been admiring his models since he was a teenager, and he is just an incredible builder. And I'm nowhere near his standard. I, I'm probably, if you put my models against anybody in that club, I'd probably have the worst standard models there. But every model, I just try and do something a little bit more. Like Andrew Ogle was saying on your podcast a while ago, just try and make the next model just that little bit more detailed than the last one. And just keep on building up the skill set. So, yeah, this Lancaster that I built last year, um, I went a bit too crazy with that. Like the, it took me a couple of weeks just to build the framing for the tail turret. Oh gee. Yeah, so all out of plastic card, all to scale, and it's just lunacy. But I really like it. <laughs> so obviously, you got that patience to to sort of sit down and just work through through some of those challenges and put the time in. I think that's the bit I love most about building is the replicating scale detail. Because I, and again, being in the aircraft game for so many years now, I look at an aeroplane 
and they're not flat by any means. There's textures everywhere. There's lumps and bumps and vents and all sorts of stuff all over them. So when I see a perfectly flat plane, to me, it's not realistic. Oh, My mates, when they build PSS planes, they get there with straight edges and making sure they're perfect. I'm like, no, no, hit it with a hammer. That's more realistic. <laughs> well, when you think about some of these old warbirds, they built them at such a pace. I don't know whether they were going for perfection. So maybe a few bumps here and there is probably you could claim is uh, scale detail. Oh, absolutely. You, you have a look at almost any warbird and there's dents all over the thing, apart from, you know, things like the, you can see stress marks around rivets, et cetera. You can see oil canning where the the aluminium's expanded between the frames. Um, no, no aeroplane's flat. <laughs> yeah, that's so, true. I, I try, and that's, like I said, that's the, the bit that I enjoy most is replicating those sort of details. I'm having a look at some of your models on your Facebook page. Now, be honest. Yes. How many models do you have? Currently ready to fly. <laughs> no, no, I want to know every. I want all the nitty gritty. Current, ones that can fly, ones that can't fly. Oh, currently ready to fly, like switch on transmitter, switch on receiver. There's thirty seven. Yeah. At the moment, I have hundred and thirty seven, but I've had three hundred and thirty one since I started in the hobby. Now, you told me off air that you're a list man. I'm a, list, a list man. man to be able to recite <laughs> those kind of numbers. That's a, that's a lot of aircraft. And and are most of these kit built, do you think, or or, or what? Um, oh, it'd be hard to say. I'd say uh, probably less than half of kits. Some are semi-kits. I, I tend to turn over a lot of models. Um. I get a lot of models from club auctions and sell a lot of club auctions, um, mainly if they're PSS. Um, but, yeah, I, I tend to fly a model and keep it for a couple of years, and then I used to log every flight, and then I'd have a look, oh, well, I haven't flown that for five years, let's sell it. But I've got past that now because I've got aeroplanes that are 30 years old, maybe haven't flown for five years, and I can't bear to part with them. Uh, they have an emotional value to them. So I've I've got lots of kits. I've probably got 30 kits in the in the workshop just sitting there waiting for retirement. Well, I, since we've become Facebook friends, I'm just seeing a plethora of photos. It's almost like every day you've got another photo of a model or something that you've been involved with a model you built or owned or something like that. You're like, no wonder you've got plenty of photos because you've had that many models. But uh, I, I want to touch on a range of models that you probably you're familiar with, which is Southern Sailplane oh. for, for anybody listening overseas because we've got a lot of international listeners here. Southern Sailplanes was a, a local Melbourne, Australia sort of uh, little manufacturer that made some really classic, beautiful-looking gliders composite gliders composite fuselage gliders yeah and um i always admired them as a child and i've ended up grabbing a, a, an old pretty banged up ricochet model but uh how many southern sailplanes models have you tried over the years i've two weeks ago i flew my fourth t-bird 
and I've yeah. got a fifth one sitting here that's um, under restoration. So I, I love the T-Bird. That was the, the first full house model that I had. So flaps, ailerons, rudder elevator. But did you add them on? Because I didn't think the T-Bird came with flaps and ailerons. No, they had the T-Bird MF, multifunction. Oh, really? So there were various versions of the T-Bird. The first one was just a, a two-metre built-up wing for thermal competition, to which yes. the designer builder Ralph Learmont, on its initial weekend of flying, won the Victorian Thermal Championships. Um he then did various versions of the two-channel model, having there was a solid leading edge with an open-framed balsa um, trailing edge. There was a a full veneered foam two-channel wing. He then then went into the multifunction wing, and he then produced a a, a multifunction wing with an Epler three seven four airfoil, which was the in the 80s and 90s was the PSS UK-style airfoil of choice. Semi-aerobatic, fairly lifty, but you get a fair bit of speed out of it. So a normal T-Bird, you put it upside down and it goes into about a 10-degree descent. Um, so it, it had a flat-bottom airfoil, an Epler 193 that was not suited to um, aerobatics at all. Um, but this... 374 wing you put on it was wonderful so when other people around were struggling to keep up models you know two channel polyhedral models um the pilot i was speaking to about before scott lennon who taught me he had a multi-function t-bird with a 374 airfoil and he could do an aerobatic show in almost dead air because he understood energy retention and understood the lift patterns and just an incredible pilot. So, yeah, so I, I know someone that's got a T-Bird brand new in a box. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, he's a good guy, a friend of mine. Actually, I got my ricochet off him, but, um, which has to be refurbished, mind you. It's amazing. So well, that era of, of model, it was, it was a very different era. They put all the, all the servos went in the fuselage and all these intricate little linkages to try to get everything connected not like now where we just go and whack servos in the wings and i i tried that with like my that. multi-function one after all these yeah. multi-servo wings came out i thought i'm going to actually refit mine like a more modern style glider so i took out all the linkages that ralph put in there and i put four servos in the wings and pro it never flew as well as his mechanical one. Oh, really he he had some absolutely brilliant engineering in both the Ricochet and the multifunction T-Bird, the way they were set up. You know, he inbuilt a servo saver for the flaps, um, taking into account the, the offset from having a servo off the centre line of the aircraft. He had offsets on the control surfaces as well that was all detailed in his plans that made everything work symmetrically. It, he was a brilliant engineer. Yeah, do you know whether he's still alive? Ralph is still alive, but he's no longer producing models. No, I, I actually spoke to him oh, a number of years back now. Um, 
and I thought oh, I'd be great as a podcast guest, um, but I know he's he's quite elderly now, and uh, yeah, he he wasn't producing any kits, and people say to me, oh, I wonder what he's got lying around. I said, I don't know whether he's got that much lying around no. anymore. I think it was the early two thousands. There was a couple of guys who were into electric gliders that teamed up with him. It might have been Firebird or Firestorm was the 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 label they put the models out in. But it was basically Ralphie's slope models with a, an electric motor fitted up front. Yeah. They weren't that great because, if, as you know, with the ricochet fuselage, it's no lightweight. No, no, it's not. It, a bit of weight. It's a definite slope machine. And that combined with the fact that they were 1970s technology airfoils, they weren't very efficient either. So, you know, everyone's been wishing for 20 years that Ralph would update the stable with modern airfoils, etc. But nah, nah he's, he's just it's past his prime. If you had to do that now, if you had to build those kits nowadays, it'd cost an absolute arm and a leg. Yeah, well, I was actually fortunate enough that for some reason I must have been the only person that saw it on eBay. Um I don't know if you are aware of Ralph's Kestrel. It's a 4.3 meter yes, yeah. scale machine. And I've wanted one ever since I got into gliding. They were the most expensive model that I knew at the time. They were the biggest model I'd ever seen at the time, but I could just never afford one. Um, and there was one on eBay a couple of weeks ago, and I was the only one that made an offer of it, so I got it for 350 bucks. <laughs> it still had the invoice in the box from 1996 when it cost the owner 490 <laughs> <laughs> So I'm the proud owner of a Kestrel kit, brand new in box. Now, I've got another model, which and I'm going to take this opportunity to ask you whether you know anything about it. I've got a, a model called a Mini Martini. Mm. An Andrew Simmons, Simons um, model that um, I think it was done in conjunction with uh, O'Reilly. Mike O'Reilly, I think, was involved in a bit of it. But it's a, it's a, it's a two-channel glider, two-metre wingspan, beautiful fibreglass fuselage, quite lightweight and very sleek. With a uh, phone core wing, and I've, I've got I've, I've I've built the tailplane. I think and that's about it, and that was done twenty something years ago, twenty five years ago. I think I may have just done that, and it's still sitting in the box. No, I'm not sure. But, um, oh, I haven't heard of that one, Martin. Yeah, no, Martin's still around though. Martin Simon, Martin the yeah, Martin Simon, yeah, model yeah. era dynamicist. He's in a yep in a home, but uh, he just sold off his stuff through. Um, the Varms magazine a couple of years ago. Um, yeah. But no, I, I've, I've seen these ad things like the Martinet, I think it was called, which was a two metres but a very low aspect ratio wing. Um, so he was, he was fiddling with Reynolds numbers there, trying to get more efficiency out of it. But uh, if it's designed by him, it's not going to be a bad model. I know, and I want to. I want to rig that up as a slope sawer. I'm seeing that as a on the slope. I reckon it'd be awesome. Yeah, do it. It's got that. It's got that shape. So that's that's something. that's a long term, long long term project. A bit like my ricochet. That's actually discolored. It's got it's got it's got a, it's got a cream color now. The fuselage. I got it for eighty dollars. Oh wow! From um, the the friend of mine that's got the T bird. I said, "Do you want that?" And it was covered in dust and whatever. And I took it home, and and my family thought I'd lost the plot because I'm sitting there, I'm taking photos of it, going, "Have a look at this! Look at this glider! It is the best looking glider." I said, "When I was a kid, this is what everybody wanted to have, and I just went and got one for eighty bucks." And um, yeah, it's not light. I tell you what, compared to nowadays, the the, the carbon fiber gliders, I've got a a four meter 
F5J uh, um, glider, and that is like one point something kilos or something like that. It's just four meter wingspan. It's great. Yeah. But um, okay. So we've covered off. I had to ask that about southern southern sailplanes models because um, I saw that you had a few T birds, and that I remember when the T bird came out. I know I saw it and went. Oh, that's just great. Two meter wingspan, the T tail as well. The swept back um, wing. Just, oh, yeah, gorgeous looking thing. That was, <laughs> yeah, no, oh, I, maybe I need to go and steal it from my friend, but I don't think he's going to let me have it. <laughs> I can't say it's brand new in the box. I always look for on the you know, second hand market if any ricochets come up, I think, oh, I've just got to grab one. Oh, the prices they're commanding on RC Trader is incredible. Yeah. Now you haven't mentioned any Aeroflight kits because a lot of people during the during the over the time have had an Aeroflight kit. Did you ha- ever have any of those? Never had an Aeroflight kit. But See, I must that doesn't say, surprise me because you've you've gone out on a limb with some of the models that you've got. You didn't you didn't do the traditional route like a lot of other people. I must say though, it wasn't Aeroflight, but I'm just looking for it here on my trusty. Sorry, it is classed as Aeroflight, a Brolga. I, yes, I purchased a Brolga. One of the new ones? Yes, for my son. Yeah. Um, my youngest son decided that he wanted to try radar control models. I, I think it was more of a, I want to spend time with my father. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he crashed that first flight because he wouldn't hand the well transmitter done. over. He's following in the family footsteps, so you know, <laughs> it's just a tradition. He got Take the, the plane out there and we, stack it. We weren't going by a buddy box and he got into trouble. And when I asked for the transmitter, his immediate response was to turn away and deny it. So it went yeah. in on a wingtip and just re-kitted itself. So we went out the next week and bought a replacement. So we go. still have a Brolger in the fleet. Good, good. I um I was out on the weekend, um, and I took a I took a, a young kid I know friend's uh, friend's son out for a fly of this little foamy profile foamy plane, and. Uh, I said, okay, Liam, hand the transmitter over now. You're a bit all over shop. I go and grab it. I accidentally hit the kill switch on the motor. Oh. And, yeah, it wasn't flying for very much longer after that. And he said to me, Andrew, what have you done? I said, I hit the kill switch when you handed the transmitter over to me. And he ran and got the model. And he goes, you broke it. I go, what did I do? He goes, oh, the front fell off where the motor. I said, oh, that's nothing. It's just foam. I'll glue that on. It'll be ready to fly in about an hour. So <laughs> wait for the glue to dry properly. And uh, and so right there and then in the back of my car, because we're out in, out in the country somewhere up where my holiday house is, and we've got the glue out. And I said, okay, now just hold that for a bit until it sticks a bit, and then we should be right to go pretty soon. So um, that's the advantage of the foamies now. But, um, but yeah, I've, I've had my son out, um, you know, flying like a, a, an E-Flight Radian, kind of glider and um he said to me oh do you want me to land it and it's got it was one of those ones with the gyro which i'm not a big fan of the uh the gyros in him but um yeah he had no problem in uh flying this thing around because he likes playing around the simulator so that sort of helps a little bit but um but yeah i love the gliders now the um uh, yeah so you've covered that you've got three you've had owned 300 um <laughs> have you got any on the build table at the moment like any new models that you're working on any of the scale jobs Ah, build table at the moment. I've got a few rebuilds of nostalgic aircraft. So that T-Bird I was talking about, a, a model called an Assassin that was produced by a gent called David Hughes, who was in the Varms Club. Um, so that was a very, very much inspired by Ralphie model. So 
a few, a 60-inch slope racer um, that had, you'd almost think that fuselage was produced by Ralph. That's how much he was influenced by him. So oh, really? poly, uh, polyester, resin, chop strand mat, white gel coat, really high quality. Um, I've, I've got a Colin Collier designed uh, Schweitzer 126, which is a two and a half metre scale glider being covered at the moment. And I've probably got about 30 in the repair pile. <laughs> <laughs> Stop crashing. Um, yeah, but I don't, well, I don't fly that often, unfortunately, but uh, there's. Do you find that, uh, that with slope soaring, like one of the scariest things about slope soaring is landing. Nah. The actual flying bits I like. You know, as long as there's a bit of bit of bit of a breeze, you know, in the right direction, all that kind of stuff. You, you know, you get, you know, the model's going to stay off, uh, stay aloft. But bringing into land, especially in some of these sites where the landing area is not that great, and uh, uh, do you still get spooked by those kind of those kind of uh, sites? Not at all. Um, a, a long time ago, like learning from the bad experience with the the trainer that went in first flight, I sort of went back into the hobby with a new philosophy of it's only a toy plane. So if I do crash it, then I can either rebuild it or I can replace it. So you you tend to get a lot of freedom from that because uh, even the, the highly detailed PSS stuff that I do, at the end of the day, I've built it once, I can always rebuild it. It's only yeah, time. It's a good. So I don't, no, I don't. Nobody's ever expressed it that way because I think that 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 whole psychology of flying that we get spooked out. You know why is it that we can fly that foamy down on the deck, but then you know when we get that balsa model, we change. Even though we've proven that we've got the skills to fly, um, but yeah, that's a, that's a that's a that's a good good way of viewing it. I'm not sure where everybody could view it that way naturally, but. Yeah, it's one of my mates, um, or two of my mates actually started a, a little cottage business called Oz Skunk Works down in Currumburra. And these guys uh, were into PSS as well. So um, one of the first ones they produced was a, a, an aircraft, a Heinkel P1026. It was a, a what-if aircraft, forward swept wing and at the end of the Second World War. Um, I believe they were making the prototypes when the the Allies actually invaded Germany. But he produced a kit of that, and he watched me fly that like an absolute idiot down at Camperdown one day. Uh, it was actually late one evening, and it was blowing a gale, and I was doing the lowest passes you can imagine at the highest speed you can imagine. And on one of them, I misjudged it, and, and I put it in, and this thing was absolutely moving. The left wing just disintegrated. The aeroplane did multiple cartwheels. And it was the most spectacular crash you've ever seen. So he fell in love with me at that point. Just like, you really don't care about your models, do you? <laughs> no, not really. And because I was laughing about it because it looked so spectacular. He goes, how can you be laughing about it? That was a beautiful model. I said, well, I'll repair it. No drama. He stayed up all night repairing it that night. So I can fly oh, it again really? the next day. And ever since then, it's just like every time we do an aircraft, you're going to do the maiden flight because you don't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a good way to be in a way because sometimes we get really precious about all of our, our models. And as I said, it, it sort of affects the way that we fly. Now, 
you, you mentioned you're a member of VARMS, which is um, for anyone outside of uh, Victoria and Australia here, VARMS is a, a big gliding club, They're, you know, dedicated gliding club. They do do some powered flight and that kind of stuff, and there's been some massive names that have gone through that club, you know, in the gliding scene, and um, you know, I have visited them. There's actually a video on the Flat Out RC YouTube channel that I shot down there at the uh, the VARMS club at the ALES day, but um, and I really enjoyed that day. I had a ball out there. But um, they're moving. They've, they've lost their field and they're moving. What's the update with the field? Um, so at the moment we're allowed to fly at the new field on Stud Road, but there's no facilities there. So, yeah, yeah High Street yeah, Road field is now gone. The club room's demolished. Um, the the plans that the council have drawn up for the the new clubhouse, airstrip, etc., look magnificent. They just haven't got round to doing it yet. Yeah, COVID may have played a bit of a part in that, I dare say. But um, well, it's good. But where are you mainly flying? And well, that's one of the problems. I hardly get to fly these days, and that's been a problem for the last umpteen years. Being a a single parent with two kids is just not having much opportunity. So. I, I still like building. I my main getaway is always the Australia Day. We go down to Camperdown for a week and just do nothing but fly, eat, drink, tell lies. Uh, <laughs> it's a it's a great time. <laughs> to, to yeah. Um, but pull tails. I, I'm trying to get back into it now. The kids are the, the kids are grown up and they can look after themselves. So. Um, it's given me a bit time, more time to get back into it, but of course, all that got curtailed with uh, COVID. But I've managed to get out. You know, we've had two weekends since the restrictions have been lifted, and I've managed to get out both weekends. So, well, we might, I made a oh, day trip, well. made a day trip down to Camperdown last Saturday. That was great fun. Oh, gee, see, you are you're doing more than me. <laughs> well, it was, it was a very long drive. It was five hours of driving. It is, it is quite a long drive out there, but probably well worth it. What's um? What is your favourite slope to fly off? Oh, uh, Camperdown at the point. So the the point yeah. which is just through the caravan park at Camperdown is my favourite. Yeah. yeah, that was a great view. Good landing area there, isn't there? Nice grassy area. Oh, uh, a lot of the scaly guys complain about it, but I think it's it's a fair size landing strip. Even though I have suffered from what they were always afraid of, they say the landing strip is too small. And I had one of those E-flight, well, I still got it in repair, one of those E-flight 4.2-metre Blanics yep, that I landed right on step. the edge of the landing area there and Mr Gravity decided that my plane deserved a trip down on its wheel to the bottom of the slope. <laughs> on the wheel? on Because Blanics have a, an oh. exposed yes, wheel. Yes, that's right, the wheel. So, yeah, it, yeah, Gravity took hold and it went down the hill and, of course, on the hill there's various rocky outcrops and it bounced its way oh. through every one of those and smashed the fuselage in multiple places so that's been in the repair pile for five years i'm almost up to the painting stage but the painting stage is the bit that i hate the most in in producing models it's the bit that i'm the weakest at so it's that painting and i'm scared to paint it in the room and what I've done. I'm a bit like you. I think I'm good at finger painting. Yes. <laughs> and so uh, when you when you go out flying now, what's what's the main model that you'd be taking out? Well, I've been taking um, a variety out because I've been rebuilding all these different ones over the year. So on the weekend, I took out my Wizard Compact 2, which is a, 
an F3F slope racer produced in Europe. Absolutely magnificent all molded model. Um, produced by a gentleman called Milan Yanek, J A N E C. What a great name. Man. Yes. So they still do quite well in slope racing circles in Europe, even though the designs, geez, we're getting on 20 years now. But that, that is my all-time favourite model. It just tracks the straight. It's all moulded, 100-inch span, um, just a beautiful a nice flying glider. glider. Yeah, I'm looking at that now. That's a, yeah, that's a nice model. And I also took out an X-model Synergy, which is a 60-inch all-moulded flying, swept flying wing. And I flew a Weasel Evo on the weekend just to get my my nerves in, you know, what nerves there are. or It's not really nerves, just to get the thumbs back into the, the groove again because flying's been so little. And then the week before that was the T-Bird, was the, num the maiden of the refurbished T-Bird. Beautiful. But there's that many to take. I, I usually take a, a variety each time. Every time I go out, try to take something different. I've got to get that rico my ricochet done, take the camper down. It'll be perfect. So speaking of which, I don't know, do you know Michael Fidesz? No. So Michael is the son of Cliff Fidesz, who both of them was very long-term VARMS members, and Cliff was a uh, model engines um, employee for multiple years and, when, oh, when you had yes. all the shows. Oh, uh, Cliff. Yeah, you'd know Cliff. Yeah, yeah, he I know Cliff. fly displays out at P&Darks with the model engine yeah, stuff. Yeah, no, I know Cliff. Yeah, because I used to, he was actually my uh, rep when I was selling model aeroplanes. He'd come and see me. Ah, right, yes. So yeah. his son was at Camperdown on the weekend um, yeah. with his old ricochet. And let me tell you, he still makes that fly a lot better than I can fly that wizard compact of mine. He does... Oh, they'd have to be 200-metre-long um, slow rolls that are just perfectly axial. Oh, really? Yeah, he's a magnificent that, flyer. And that's a that's a hard manoeuvre, that slow roll. I always say that it's one of the prettiest manoeuvres you could ever do is a, a slow roll across the, uh, across the field. And his went um, arrow straight. So yeah, the geez. axial was just magnificent. So the, the ricochet, I still think, is one of the best slope arrow aircraft around yeah well actually the guy that's got the t-bird he said that when when he flew he said he's just phenomenal to fly so so i, I handed over my 80 bucks and said okay one day i'll get this going and i've i've done a little bit of so I, I'm, I'm not making it to look pretty i'm making it to fly so it's going to be very weathered kind of look and feel but um it's still a ricochet <laughs> it still looks like a ricochet i only had a ricochet. Like a ricochet i only had a thermal ricochet so still flew nicely but um, I, I still yeah. wouldn't mind having a, a, a one of the oh god again there was about ten different versions. Um, there was I've got the one with everything with the flaps and the uh, the spoilers and the you know, ailerons of course. I think it was the um, ultimate or something like that. He called it the ultimate. There's a sport or oh, there's yeah, yeah, and there's, there's a whole bunch of. He also did the thermal and so the bullet yes. had an extremely thin section, so it was a, a very fast model. I've another friend of mine's got one and he's sort of been teetering on the edge of selling it to me. I thought, because that'd be awesome as a slope story. He goes, yeah, it's really fast. Trying to land at a camper down, does his head in because he said, can't slow the thing down. I said, oh, well, it's because you lack skill. <laughs> well, if you decide to pass on it, um, yeah, yeah. to me, I'll take it. 
Well, it's it's beautiful condition. It's like pristine. He's got it hanging from his roof, and it's in oh, beautiful condition. Oh, that's a waste. Um, I know. Well, he's flown it at Camperdown, but yeah, he gets a bit bit nervous flying it. Uh, flying it. What's this? I'm looking at your Facebook page now. RC yachts. Oh yeah, I did that a bit recently because Box Hill, where the so one of my old mates um, that probably, if not as keen as me, more keen than the in PSS models. So Max McCulloch, otherwise known as the Gravity Master, um, he's a PSS nut, but he's getting on a bit now. So for relaxation, he got into the boating. And I went and had a go at that, and it was extremely relaxing. I I have one as well. I got um, a, a friend of mine that's not with us anymore. He he actually gave me. He said, oh, "I've got this this RG sixty five, whatever yacht." Yeah. And uh, and he gave it to me, and um, people laugh at me. My friends laugh at me with my RC yacht, but it's exactly that. Just very very relaxing. It's just a good couple of hours out. And I join up with a bunch of guys, you know, they set some boys up and have some sort of casual races. And um, yeah, it's just a good good day out. So it takes me half nice. an hour to get to the lake to, to do them, or it takes me an hour to get to Glenfern Road, which is the nearest slope, or it's two and a half hours to any decent slope. So that's why I did the, the, the yachts for a while, because it was – a chance to get out, socialise, do something radio control. The yachts do have a lot of characteristics similar to sailplanes because virtually those the, the sails are wings. So it's depending on how good you are at manipulating your wings to make the most out of them. So I enjoyed that challenge. Um, but, yeah, it's still – it's no substitute for aeroplanes. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. Do you um do you find that you, you you need that outlet in your life? You know, you're a busy man. You know that is it good to be able to have something that you can just yeah. I'll, I'll look, I'll, whether it be a, a plastic model or a radio controlled model, I don't do much of the plastics now. Again, I have a a massive collection of those um, waiting for the retirement. Mm. Um, but at the moment, while the body's still able, it's like, well, let's go and do slope type flying um so that that's still where the passion is it's um if i had my choice of any type of of hobby it's you know, during the week doing the building and then weekend always out flying yeah yeah that's what we want to do now i'm going to finish on a question that is the signature move? It's, it's you know, the first question I ask everybody is the same, and the last question. I'm very, very consistent, Glenn. Uh, and but it's a hard one, and I actually didn't preempt. Normally, I tell the guests prior that this is going to be my final question, just to give them a bit of a heads up. But I haven't told you this, and this is going to be hard because you're a man that's owned many, many models over the years. And that question is, what has been your all-time favourite model? And I want one, Glenn. Last week, Norm Morris. Gave me one, two. Right? I don't want gold, silver, bronze. I want the number one model that you've owned that you rate as your favourite model. Oh. I know it's a hard question for you. That's why I sort of extended the question to give you some thinking time. I, actually, hearing the podcast, listening to the podcast, I thought I knew the question was coming, 
and I've oh, been good. racking my brain over how to answer it. Is it like my favorite PSS model, my favorite <laughs> overall model? And it's I have that many favorite models. Um, at the end of the day, I would have to say. And probably the proudest model as well. Uh, I talked about those gents at the Oz Skunk Works down in Currumburra. They yeah. produced a PSS Corsair. Really? Now, the Corsair happens to be my favourite aeroplane of all time. Do you, do you know how many people say that? Yeah, Mustangs there, and Spitfires, they're pair overrated. Yeah. I do love that, them. Uh, <laughs> that Corsair, the Corsair, though, yeah, you're right that there's – there's just people just absolutely adore them. Yeah. So um, I have. There's that. I'm, one of the problems that I have is you've seen that lots and lots of photos, and I have lots of photos and lots of videos of other people's models, but there's hardly ever any videos of my models or photos of my models. So uh, you can't fly and take the photos at the same correct. time. Correct. Um, I've tried. I did. I put a. Well, I did a slope soaring video down at the. At, uh, 13th beach at the start of the year and i was testing out a new gopro and i put it on a uh, on a hat i've got a cap with a gopro mount on it and so i was able to film me flying i've tried that once but uh the models tend to get too far away and then all you can see is a dot yes. moving yeah I, I kept it in pretty close there is one so i have a, a youtube channel i'll give that a plug if i can yeah, yes, like it's, it's not monetized or anything else, so it's it's nothing like that. No, I just put it out plug there. it because we like watching YouTube videos. Yeah, so it's just look under Glenn with two N's, Salisbury, like the diff, S-A-L-I-S-B-U-R-Y. And I'm, I'm typing now. I've got a channel there that is mostly radio controlled. There's a few train things in there as well, but it's mostly radio. And is this all videos that you've shot? The majority of them are ones that I shot. Um, so the one with my Corsair that I was talking about was actually shot by a gent called Steve Wenban, who lives up um, the Hunter Valley. And, uh, yeah, he shot the Corsair one. The rest of these, I'm pretty sure, are all mine. So there's Good scale job. meets there. There's lots of gliding stuff. There's, there's train lots stuff. There's of gliding stuff. That's, that's what I'm taking a look at. I've, I've, I've subscribed. Um, <laughs> okay. I've subscribed. So... Um, I'm going. Gee, you got some stuff that dates back a while too. This is awesome. We're going back ten years. Oh, again, I've been that I've is. been in the hobby since uh, Christmas '78, so Christmas I've done it for a fair while. And that and the full size. So I'm a, a fan of the full size because I work in full size aviation as well. Yeah, what do you do for a job? I am. Well, the Composites Learning and Development Specialist for Boeing in Australia. Really? So it's building mainly commercial uh, carbon fibre components. Oh, yeah. And the um, there's a lot of aeromodelers that have worked at Boeing. Yes. <laughs> there's, uh, I've been there 42 years and avid aeromodel. 42, 42 years. Oh, yeah. You, you can either say I'm boring and predictable or that I'm reliable, either way. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what, that uh, that is awesome. 42 years of bowling. I've done almost every job you can think of in the place. If I was doing the same job, I'd be bored out of my brain. But I've moved around oh, so yeah. much in there. So, Well, you know, it's, it's interesting that uh, a lot of us work in, 
you know, I always say that in, in most jobs, everything can become boring. Like you could become bored of being a rock star. Yeah. You know, when you think about it. Uh, and I always, you know, I enjoy work. I enjoy business. I run my own business, that kind of thing. But I live for the adventures that revolve around things outside of work, like model flying or skiing or other things, like the motorbikes now, that kind of thing. And, uh, and so I can put up with the boredom now and again, knowing that, hey, it's going to come to an end pretty soon in about two days' time, going for a fly, and so everything's good. So, uh, so that's where I think I, I lucked on the best thing is that I got a job that I loved. So I've saw the old saying, you know, if you if you love the job that you're doing, you never work a day in your life, and that's true. So that best mate of mine I talked about, you know, that we got in in childhood, he's been an accountant for forty years and hates it, and has always been jealous of the fact that you play with aeroplanes every day. Said, yep, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool, you know. Like some of the stuff that you you've obviously seen at Boeing. Is and then I think being able to look out the window and see that Boeing plane fly past and go, hey, I, uh, you know what I did on that plane? I, uh, uh, yes, I made a wingtip or something. I bore all my mates with that. We go to the air show or something, and it's oh yeah, I built that bit of that plane, and the next plane flies. <laughs> yeah, we built that bit of that plane. <laughs> yeah, I introduced well, see, that I'd, program. <laughs> that'd be awesome though. That's that's the kind of stuff. I my brother's a pilot. He flies a Boeing, a seven three seven, and um, and so hearing those little stories, it's like it's. Out of the ordinary for a lot of us that have got desk jobs, you know, staring at computer monitors all day long. So, uh, so I, I love, uh, you know, I'd be sitting right next to you going, oh, what else did you do? do? That, that's awesome. Tell me more. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you know, you're not boring. You're exciting. You told me off air that you're a nerd. Oh, absolutely. Oh, Mr. Liss, <laughs> and you're also a nerd. But I like that. <laughs> the, the list of things that are important. See, the plastic models I haven't listed, but radio controlled ones I've for some reason, I've always kept a list on there. Um, yeah, just I don't know why it is. Like I said, at one time it was to to track to make sure I was actually using them and getting proper value out of them. But now I just like the fact, and, and like I also said, I'm not sure whether it was when we're on air or not, but um, I'm going through this nostalgic phase. Yes. And I'm looking back through my list and saying, I want one of them, I want one of them. And I've managed to get back maybe half a dozen of my models. That's why I think some of these old models end up costing a fortune is because uh, we get nostalgic as we get older and go, oh, remember that ricochet? Oh, I wish I had one of those. Always wanted one when I was a kid. How much does it cost now? 400 bucks, crikey, you should have bought one brand new back in the day. It would have been cheaper. And, um, but, uh, yeah, and it, it, it happens with cars and old motorbikes and you name it. But we have this, this nostalgia. But it's it's good. It reminds us of a time that everything was just seemed simple and enjoyable. I, I still have visions. I can see. I close my eyes and I can remember driving past Elstonwick Park in Elstonwick and seeing these guys with their massive gliders and stopping to have a look. And one was orange and one was yellow and they were heading off over, flying over the houses kind of thing, which no, no, but because they reckon there was more lift out there and they're on the bungee launch. And it just feels like yesterday that I was there. Now the park's totally different, but, um, but yeah, it feels like yesterday. And it just brings back great memories. And that's, and that's what model planes can do. That's why I think some of us go back and buy those older planes because you go, oh, I always wanted one of these when I was a kid and I've got one now and it's awesome. And Yeah, that's what's happened so. with the Kestrel. The other one, though, if I, want, if I want one back, if the person's listening, 
I had yeah. a large scale PSS F one eleven. I saw a photo of that, and that looked phenomenal. It was, and for some stupid reason, I got the feeling that yeah, it's a bulky aeroplane. It's too hard to fit other aeroplanes in the car with it. I'll get rid of it, and regretted yeah. it ever since. What are you doing, Glenn? I, well, I've I've put the feelers out trying to find out who's got it now to try and buy it back, but. One of my mates apparently found it and said the guy's just not interested. It's not flying, but he just doesn't want to sell it. Oh, so I have wait. purchased another copy of the plan, and I may well have to build another one or two. Well, as you said earlier, <laughs> you can always build another one. If you build one, you can build it again. Yeah. The, and the second one's probably going to be easier. Problem is the want list is probably in the range of about 50 as well. There's so well, many you got to, I want to model. Glenn, you got you got to stop with this list. No. That's the problem. No, it's the motivation. Yeah. Well, Glenn, you are going to be a lifelong error model. I can tell there's plenty more error modeling left in you. And I've really enjoyed having a chat. You're a unique character. You know, the way that you viewed some things I've never heard anybody on this podcast talk about. <laughs> so I'm, I was it was a pleasure to have you on the podcast. And you never know, our paths will cross and we might even go flying. I've got a little foamy slope sort of sitting here. Dreamflight are here. So uh, maybe we get down to Glenfern Road or something, send me a message when you're going or the wind's good and I'll bring that and we'll have a fly. Absolutely. Sounds fantastic. Thank you for having me Thanks, on the, the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. About to leave. Already packing. Come with me. I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. Another episode of the Flat Out RC podcast done and dusted. Big thank you to Glenn Salisbury for joining me talking gliders which i do enjoy I do love a glider they just look cool flying off a slope is fun too flying off a slope with friends is a great social outing one of the best social outings you can have uh with uh, your mates because you can fly for a long time and you just sit there and just have a chat whilst you're doing it and uh so talking and flying is perfectly okay when you're at the slope i've got a sore back i'm gonna be honest i've got a sore back if i sound a bit down in the dumps i've been playing table tennis with my son and, and i've just been you know running around the court and I think I just pulled the lower back muscle but I'll be okay I'll be back bouncing back to 100% fitness by next week's episode and we do have another episode coming up next week which is good because I have managed to find another guest little tip we're going to be talking aerobatics again uh, and it's going to be a first guest from Tasmania coming up I always try to get everybody from around Australia and I, I, I'll, I'll tick off Tasmania but I haven't had someone from Western Australia, because they don't respond to my messages. Please, anyone WA, love to have somebody on from WA. So thanks for tuning in. Don't forget those special offers from uh, RC World and uh, Scale Aero products. Uh, get on board with those because they will be finishing uh, shortly. Uh, you know, Christmas is coming. Get your gifts in now. Get a brand new NGH engine or a, a laser cut kit from Scale Aero products. I'll be back next week. Hope you've been getting out, having a bit of fun with your model aeroplanes. We'll talk to you then.